0: You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. Stone Spring Maidens. Chapter 5 Disturbing Visions. Green Hollow, Mississippi. July 24th, 1883. Then. We're pinned down! Abigail Gray cried, pressing her back to the outer wall of the cabin and craning around for the briefest of moments to take in the oncoming attackers. Unless Butler can survive long enough to get to the front, we have to take out that group ourselves. Above them, the dawn sky had begun to lighten, a mixture of blood red and Union navy, with jagged white clouds on the horizon. Can we just find another way to get out without horses? Jeremy pleaded. He was not a fighter. We can go to the woods, suggested Miguel, the boy armed with a pair of sharpened bones and armored with a wooden mask fashioned into the visage of a mongoose. Even if Butler did buy us some time, Abigail argued, the nearest place of safety is 50 miles away. On foot, even if we stick to the woods, they'd ride us down in hours. We need horses or we're dead. Mr. Raven, the man who thought in writing, lit a long cigarette and clamped it between his jaws, his ears pricking up to the distant sounds of dear, gentle Major Butler, who right now was shooting men dead at point-blank range with the mechanical efficiency of a locomotive. If we can't get to the front of the stables... Harriet Arlington announced. Let's get back around to where Major Butler started. We need to arm ourselves. And there might be some loaded guns still on the ground. Harry also was not a fighter. But their survival was at stake, and she would learn as fast as she could. Best plan we have. Abigail led them the way they had come, back into the fray, checking each turning as she went. Her wariness was insufficient. (laughs) Abigail was shot in the shoulder, the impact spinning her round as the ceramic plates in her armour ruptured. (laughs) Two more bullets planted themselves in her back and breastbone as she careered behind the nearest building and thrust herself against it, panting. Harry had her hands over her mouth, horror and panic, threatening to overwhelm. There was no routine here, no procedure that her mind could fall back on. Abigail checked herself and gave the rest of the group a shaky thumbs up. The bullets had not pierced her skin or ruptured her organs. In covering those vulnerable areas, the coat Harry had constructed to protect her had done its job. But it was weakened now, vulnerable and Abigail was separated from Harry and the rest of those unable to fight by the gap between buildings. Down the avenue, they were crouched either side of, a group of those terrible men with their broken brains, reloaded and prepared to close in and take them all. Harry looked at Abigail and saw a crackling anger in her patchless eye. Her mind rushed back through the events of what had brought them to this point, Deeply frustrated at her own lack of preparation. She should have enclosed every key component on the outer hull of Steamheart with double reinforced stone spring plating. The wendigos that swarmed her beloved landcraft just days ago would have shattered their teeth against it, broken their claws, beaten their mutated paws into bloody stumps. Her baby would have survived the mauling that they rained down. The world closed in, pressure, screams, shots getting louder, the smell of gunpowder, and above it all, a roar. And then the tiger was there, haloed in the light of the rising sun, an avenging feline angel who lay waste to these broken men with fiery claws and terrible jaws. Her leather armor was gone, she no longer needed it. Harry caught a brief glimpse of the flash in Haral's eye. This cat knew she could save her friends. In that moment, it was a surety which Harry both admired and envied. Quick! Harry declared to the others. He'll be here any moment. Get in. She raced over to Steamheart, where they had parked it outside the house of that twisted, hateful family, the McClellans. Swiftly, she slid her hand between two parallel plates and found the cool brass shape of that hidden lever. Pulling it downwards released a coiled spring from deep within, and the entry hatch seashelled open. Her companions dived inside her. The tiger last, hurrying through the aperture to shadowy safety with a whisper of the wild. Harry threw herself into the pilot's chair and slid her amber goggles down over her eyes, glaring at the front gates of the stockade. Logs, latticed, breakable, if you knew the pressure points. She thrust her work boot down upon the pedal, breathing in the leather and oil, the perfume of hot metals, making her shudder with preemptive triumph. She knew the weakness of this wood. The sharpened tip of the cowcatcher at her baby's head glinted in the morning light as the broken men realized the new plan and scattered from the warpath she would forge. Abigail pulled up behind Harry and smiled that Mustang smile of hers. Her eye was greener than Malachite. She pressed her soft lips to Harry's neck with a tender kiss and breathed in her ear. For luck. Arlington released the throttle and Steamheart cascaded forward, her engine bellowing, her great black wheels thundering. The gate splintered into Matchwood and they burst out under the grasslands towards the oncoming Reunified States Army. At the head of the procession, flanked by his bodyguard, Agent Lee, who herself had Dr Penrose held fast by the arm, stalked Mr White. He was clad in Harry's scorpion suit. The one she had labored over for months with Master Yagyu to make the perfect protective shell. The mere sight of it, purloined, repainted white, blue and red. Her ingenuity smuggled and turned to his ends made Harry's blood boil. She headed straight for him. Abigail knew with that sharpened instinct Steamheart would not hit James as they drove through She gripped at Harry's arm encouragingly with those magic hands that could inflict such damage and deal out such pleasure. A cunning thumb brushed the inside of Harry's elbow, sending tingles up her spine. White stared down the oncoming craft, his eyes narrowed as he tensed to spring, facing his opponent alone on the grassy, windswept meadow. Abigail was gone now, along with everyone else. Just Harry and White, and in Steamheart, she was faster and more powerful than he could ever contend with. This time, he misjudged his leap and collided with the bird-like nose of the cockpit, spiraling back through the air, only to go under her wheels, his body shattering at their riotous impact. Harry roared in triumph and yanked the handbrake, spinning around into a side swipe and a dead stop, then nimbly leapt from her chair and out of the hatch to stalk the crushed earth towards his devastated frame. Somehow his chest still rose and fell inside the ruptured armor, but he was not long for this world. Harry lunged in and snatched his sword away, tossing it into the wind, then flicked aside every throwing dagger he weakly hurled and closed in on his mask. No more hiding. Time to see who you are. Harry growled over her fallen enemy. Motherfucker. She felt like Abigail now, brimming with confidence. She adored this sensation, drew it into her hungrily, devoured it like a starving man crawling from a desert to a feast. Her fingers found the edge of the stone spring mask and she glared one last time into those deep brown eyes before pulling away the facade. She stared into nothingness. Beneath the mask lay a deep shadow. Silence fell upon her. Harry's breath came out as mist as she stood over this corpse with an abyss where his head should be. The darkness rose up, enshrouding her as she felt cold and pain and a deep, unfathomable frustration. A sharp touch at her neck It was the blade of a knife. The wraith had one dagger left, and he had thrust it upwards into her throat. Crimson blood spilled out over his white plating as Harry sobbed soundlessly. A man's sweating arm clasped her rigid. The blade was still in her neck. Buford McClellan whispered horrible things in her ear, calling her a filthy nigger as he held her up as his prisoner. Jeremy was on the ground. So was poor Mr. Butler and Mr. Raven. Abigail was standing some way off with her back to Harry, bellowing against the wind across at White. James was over there too, with the army, held fast by Agent Lee. The grasslands expanded out around them, infinite ground, and all within the abyss. And the burned-out husk of Steamheart lay to one side, a ruined dynamite scoured, buckled frame, with not one jot of motion left inside it. White was counting down from ten, and at the terminus of that stack of numbers, the world would end. She saw James struggling and realized what he was trying to accomplish, and with supreme effort to shut out everything crushing her down, she wrenched herself into focus upon the moment. She knew the equation for his abilities and wished she could tell him under peaceful circumstances. But if she spoke, McClellan would stab that Bowie knife deep into her jugular and reality would turn to blood and drain into oblivion. Harry cried out anyway. It was fire that James needed. Fire! White roared. The guns went off. The door was opened. Harry's legs were taken. And her forward momentum ceased to be. She woke up screaming yet again. Slicked in sweat. The bedsheets soaked in urine. All control ceded. Her trembling fingers reached down through the damp cloth. Blanketing her to trace across her feet and touch her toes. Only to discover for the nth time the bandaged stumps at the ends of her knees, and Harry wept bitter tears for this dream to find her once again with the inescapability of a wolf stalking a lamb. Washington, August, 1883 (gasps) Harry Arlington woke from her nightmare again, entombed within her sickbed. Fingers clutched at the sheeting, which twisted around her arms. Eyes widened, pupils dilating in the darkness. Beaded cold sweat pasted on her forehead. Her mouth gaped for air and her lungs reacted as they ought to. But every breath in seemed stale. The freshness had drained from the world she lived in. It did not sustain her life. It took from her. Everything was unbalanced and she no longer felt whole. Below her waist, her mind could make out the faint technical outline of her calves and the feet which had been there before. She experienced the impulses running down her spine that should, by all functional practicality, twinkle her toes. But those impulses reached a dead end. Nothing twinkled anymore. Her throat hurt, constricting on the inside as parched tension dug in with its vice-like grip. By and by she leaned over awkwardly to fumble for the glass of tepid water, draining it to zero refreshment. She imagined yet again getting up off the bed, springing over to the window, unlatching and flinging it open to the great wide world outside. And a relieving breeze... The movements played out in her head over and over again. Her mind mapped out the sequence until it seemed entirely feasible. Yet, when she shifted to the edge of her bed and stared down at the floor far below through the blue night, it was like gazing over the battlements of a darkened castle to behold a morass of assembled enemies laying siege beneath. (sighs) Harry blinked rapidly, reconfiguring the room, imagining a set of overhead bars leading from the bed to the window. That would at least allow her to use her functioning hands and arms. She wanted to stand again. She wanted to walk. Time ebbed and hurtled around her, minutes and hours flowing into an ocean, marooning her on this island of cotton. It was day now. Her fingers found the cold metal handle of the brass bell on the chest beside her, and she jangled it hard. Shortly, a thin man with a clipped moustache entered. What do you need? He asked, foregoing the pleasantry of inquiring whether she was all right, when she manifestly was not. Oh, open w- window. Harry panted, face awash with pain and bewilderment. He dutifully moved across and did so before sitting down in the faded brown leather chair next to her bed. Do you want me to go? Harry shook her head. So Nikola Tesla, granting her as much dignity as he was able, assisted with the humiliating business of the bedpan, returned it, cleansed, then sat with Harry as he had done on six previous occasions that week. Sometimes he brought food, drink... fresh bedding sometimes he fetched pencils and draft paper to place beside her when he did so he never verbally qualified his intentions they were clear all the same however these materials were still untouched today so on this occasion he talked about growing up in the austrian empire he detailed how at an early age his teachers accused him of cheating because they would not believe he could perform such complex calculus equations in his head the stories went on as Harry lay unresponsive until he reached the point where, at the age of seventeen, he had contracted cholera. "'I hovered in a limbo,' he said. "'For nine months I inhabited the bed just like this, rapping upon death's door.' As he uttered the words, his voice did not change in timbre. He registered no emotional wavering. It was matter-of-fact, as though describing a calculation he had contended with in the past. My father, who was an orthodox priest, said that if I recovered, I would be sent to the best engineering school he could find. Harry still did not reply, so he went on. Of course, by this point, the Wendigo was ravaging Europe, and colleges were closing their doors as everyone fled. Eventually, my family had to run from... uh, to escape our village... Smilian. something had now changed. The speed at which he accessed each word had diminished. Memories slowed him. The year after that, I lost both of my parents in the shipping lanes, only then to find myself alone among strangers on the ocean. There was a long silence. Inside his mind, Nikolai recalled the dim lighting below decks, The smell of fish oil. But you see, I had been reading a lot of Mark Twain whilst confined to my bed. It gave me the yearning to come to America to see if a better life could be found here. And now, look at my achievement. He nodded his head tersely towards the door that led out into their workshop. I am at the spear point of research and development for the nation which adopted me. And while I must contend with Edison on a daily basis, my position has also led me to a collaboration with you. With these final words, there encroached a softness, and that has been a great experience of my life. He leaned forward and said in quiet, grave tones, You can come back from this, Arlington. You can craft a better future, despite all you have lost. She still did not respond, so he patted her hand and slid the bell out of it to place carefully back upon her nightstand. I shall leave you to rest again, but I am not far away. Hours had passed. Harry could not tell how many, but it was very dark outside now. She snapped from her trance, her arms emerged from the sheet that somebody had laid over her, and she shivered in the cold. Without thinking, powered solely by the pull of instinct, she turned herself out of the bed to cross the floor. Hard tiles rushed up with the giddy lurch of merciless gravity knocking the wind from her and bruising two ribs Ah! she lay face down inhaling disinfectant her fingernails clawing at the condensation upon the unyielding surface as her teeth ground together and her body shook the window loomed high overhead impossibly far away and up out of reach down there in the dark dust entered her lungs sharply attacking her senses Harry let out a scream of pure frustration and lamentation. She was alone. She was only part of what she had been before. And everything was ruined. been listening to episode 5 of Stonespring Maidens Disturbing Visions Written, edited and directed by Alexander Shaw Harry Arlington performed by Loretta Saylor Narrator Mr. White, Nicola Tesla and Miguel performed by Alex Shaw Jeremy Pines performed by Matt Wardle Abigail Gray performed by Sharon Shaw Make Your Decision by Dan Philipson of Shockwave Sound Flair, composed and performed by Ross Bugdon. Emotional Choirs by Carlos Estella. Many soundscapes, including Neon Drive, Icebound Town, Derelict Freighter, and Rainy Village by Tabletop Audio. Stone Spring Maidens is available in a gorgeous paperback from Amazon.com, along with the previous nine stories from the New Century Multiverse, and the two newest, Panther Soul and Nightfall of the Wendigo. The New Century Multiverse is funded by Patreon. Our $15 sponsors get credit every episode, so thank you too. Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard Alex Outridge Angus Lee Benjamin Hoffer Brian Novak Cassandra Newman Chris Finnick Christopher Wolfe Kieran Dashler Connor Kennedy Dan Mayer Daniel Salguero Dan Hebner Dave Hickman David Sheely Duran Barnett Finbar Nicole Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jamis Enwright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joe G., Kat Esman, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Mark Lux, Marty Huey, Matthew A. Siebert, Matthew Webb, Michael Hasco, Sarah Montgomery, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras and Valencia Burns.